0: Yeah, yeah, here. here. We're,
1: We're fine. fine. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Get in the Garage. Second episode of Get in the Garage in 2021. Also, second episode of the second season, because I just decided that (laughs) a season season will be a year long. At least that's what I did when I updated it on the streaming services and stuff. I made the last episode the first episode of season two. Wow, but it's still numbered numer. It's still, but they're all still numbered numerically. So this will be, I think, podcast number twenty-eight. It'll just be the first episode of season two. So here we yeah. are. Here we are. T- twenty twenty-one. Twenty twenty-one. Already in twenty twenty-one, I have gotten COVID, and we almost witnessed the civil war.
0: What a fucking year already! Can what we can we restart crazy year this one
1: already? God no, I don't it. think so. I saw a funny meme that was just like, I would, I would not like to. Continue my like seven day trial <laughs> membership of twenty twenty one. Like I would like to cancel my my trial
2: membership. Of uh, it was my, can I tell you my favorite meme I saw? What was? Um... Yeah, let's hear it. Oh my god! Now that I told, I said I completely blanked out of my mind. Oh no! Uh, you
1: lost it. <laughs> <laughs> you lost it. Long oh, story oh, short, we there was a lot of good memes. I mean, there's a lot I of. Good
2: memes. It was not a meme. It was a tweet. It was a. Uh, it was like let's all congratulate Melania Trump. She finally uh, got Donald Trump kicked off Twitter and ended cyberbullying.
0: I did see that. <laughs> Fuck Donald Trump.
2: It- Fuck Twitter <laughs> too, man. Yeah,
0: they they empowered that motherfucker for four years, five years. Yeah. What Fuck can them? you do? You can
2: put on a record and forget your woes.
0: Yes,
1: you could. Yes, good, exactly. Good so that's good segue. Luke, we're gonna start off with you on this list, but just to explain to all of our friends listening what we're actually gonna talk about this episode, um, we decided to come up with like our top really, we came up with a top each a top five list. Five original versions and then five covers of those original songs. Right? So five and five each. So five so fifteen songs total, but I think just for the sake of the podcast, we're going to just do one round each. Is that cool with you guys? So we'll do, we'll each do two songs.
2: Sure.
1: We'll talk about what we've been listening to lately. We'll uh, get into Jeff has a new podcast. We'll get into all that stuff, too. So I figure, you know, we can talk about that because that would be fun to talk about. Let's do it. Um, so, Luke, why don't you lead us off, man? What Wait, is are we still, what, we're like, still doing us... five
2: songs each? Yeah, well, why don't we thought... do all five? All right, yeah, yeah. we can do all five. So
1: technically ten okay. songs each, but Yeah, 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 we'll blaze yeah. blaze yeah, songs this And then their covers. Yeah. So Luke, what was like give us give us all one right, of Uh so
2: man. uh like one of mine that I wanted to shout out cuz I kind of figured that you guys wouldn't choose this lane. So I kind of went the more alternative route. Um and my first one was uh The Cure's Just Like Heaven, uh and the cover being Dinosaur Jr. Um I really, really love Just Like Heaven. It's off their really poppy, breakthrough album, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Um, and I always really love that record. I think it's great. Um, but Just Like Heaven is such a great single. It's so, like, um, I don't know. It's, like, the, it's. that I would cast it as, like, much as, like, alternative 80s. It's, like, a high point of, like, pop. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, they were, like, popular in the UK and the like, the gothy movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be, like, more of, like, a big pop single. And for a band like Dinosaur Jr. to take that song and cover it um, with the heavy Fuzz guitar, it has, like, a amazing wah, fuzz solo in it. Um, and they took it, and they made, like, a really, like, kind of gushy song and made it, like, okay and cool to, like, play that song. I thought that was, like, a real breakthrough moment and I really appreciated, you know, the the cover of it. Like, did any of you listen to, I mean, did you guys know the song before? I like, you know, you, you might've listened to the cover.
0: Yes, I did know the I, I knew the original. I did not know the cover before. Okay. Oh, right on, right on. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of putting on eye makeup and crying a lot. So yeah, I know the, but... I know the Cure's <laughs> stuff.
2: It, that's a, that's a big cure <laughs> hit. I, I would say it's like one of their most like recognizable songs.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it's, like, one of their top three biggest radio yeah, de- hits. Yeah, definitely. And I like just... the cover a lot because uh, I like the fuzz guitars in it because the Cure's version is so clean guitars and jangly. It's a lot of chorus effects on the guitars. And I like the halftime section it does. I don't know if it's a bridge or the chorus. I can't remember, but it's, like, halfway through the song, it goes into a halftime feel on the Dinosaur Jr. version, yeah, which got, is like, cool because the-, cause the Cure one is kind of that, like, I am sad, but I'm kind of dancing. <laughs> Kinda of like Beat. Um
2: <laughs> Like the the Goth Kids in South Park.
0: Exactly.
2: Yes, and then the the uh the dinosaur junior one, that little halftime like throwback has like the hardcore breakdown right. and it even has the scream in it, like the you Yeah, yeah, I it's like, like that. Soft huh? and lonely. <laughs> oh man, huh. I really love that. And I just like um, like that, that, I mean, I, we could do another one of these shows too, where we pick like another set of songs. Cause I mean, there's so many great covers out there. But, um, like this tradition was like really started in the alternative underground by like Hoosker Doo doing eight miles high, like an incredibly fast, like Motorhead song, um, with that kind of intensity. And I just like how like Dinosaur Jr. knew their lane was more like the emotional, um, like melodic um like fuzzy, grungy kind of stuff and like the cure cover is just so perfect for them. If like that if the um the Hoosker Doo's Eight Mile High is the benchmark for rock and roll classic covers or like stuff like that of that period. I feel like Dinosaur Jr. doing that was like a really smart move. And it ended up being like a really famous thing for them and I think one of their most popular songs. So mm. very cool. And a good breakthrough for like, you know, getting the artist to you know different ears kind of thing both ways mm-hmm. there's it, yeah, it jay it,
0: mascus who's the lead singer of dinosaur jr yeah dinosaur jr.?
2: i like like his yeah. delivery on the on
0: the on the vocals on the cover because it kind of like warbles around because the melody is pretty simple it only kind of goes on five different notes and he's kind of like trying to keep up with it and it's it's cool how it kind of comes in and out of being on pitch i like that part too yeah
2: like jay mascus is always like singing like one beat behind Mm. he's struggling to keep up mm-hmm. with the song yeah it's amazing <laughs> it's one of my favorite covers and uh, it
0: was a good I choice I was, it was happy to yeah. cover,
2: I think it's an important cover in the uh, you know underground-y alternative world of that time so anyway yeah that for nothing oh I, I Michael was, do you have I anything to say about some, Sorry, you know.
1: yeah no 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 no. I just um, I, I I, when we gave each other our list and stuff I like, I only quickly glanced at yours um, and forgot that yeah the cure that Song was one of your things, so I'm like sitting here painting. Like, we're doing like home renovations where we um, you know, I'm painting the my spare bedroom, whatever. And I just let the playlist roll, you know, and I was like, Is this the fucking cure? And then I was like, Oh, yeah, this is the kid, <laughs> like, you know, so yeah, I had no idea that Dinosaur Jr. Uh, covered that, but dude, shout out to J Mascis though, for right. real, for real, not only for playing, not only for playing a dope Squire Jazz Master guitar, but also for being the king of fuzz. Because, I mean, he's, like, he's like one of the masters of, like, the fuzz pedal. Absolutely,
2: and that's one of his greatest you know. fuzz solos, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man, right on. Well, I think a good pick. I think a good pick. Um, for my first one, I went with a, I wouldn't necessarily say a lesser-known uh, Joe Cocker cover, but definitely not the popular Joe Cocker cover. The popular Joe Cocker cover is with a little help from a friend's uh covering the Beatles. But I went with the box top cover, uh, the song The Letter, um, especially the live cut, man, like Mad Dogs and Englishmen, Leon Russell coming in, just like this foot stomping piano kind of an intro. He has other people, you know, he has like this choir singing with him, and you can hear them all kind of like calling and like, yeah, you know, and all this, and they're like stomping their feet and stuff. Um, and it is, of course, the cover of the box tops, Original featuring our man uh, Alex, from Big uh,
2: Star,
0: the most Alex, underrated Alex American Alex Chilton,
1: band
2: baby. Uh, of all time, 16 years old when he sings. 16 years
0: old, like, and he uh, never sounded like this yeah. again ever in his life.
2: I also believe The Letter uh, by the Box Tops is the shortest song to ever hit number one on the US Billboard uh, chart. I'm is almost it? a thousand percent sure.
1: Oh, we'll have to fact check that one. But that's I mean, I wouldn't I, I
2: wouldn't be it's definitely like... Clocks in another two minutes. It's a great single. Alex Chilton's sixteen years old. Yeah,
1: it's a minute fifty eight. Uh,
2: it's a studio. It's like a um a studio session song. So something like a real building kind of idea, uh studio band. But um yeah, Alex Chilton, uh, later of the uh band Big Star. Gr- great sixties yeah. number one uh single. Great single.
1: Yeah. Great, great song. And, I mean, a phenomenal cover, too. I love the way that Joe Cocker has this way, with the help of Leon Russell, of course, to, like, take these songs and maybe, like, slow them down a little bit, make them a little bit heavier, make them a little bit more soulful, make them a little bit more, you know, it's just, he just puts a little bit extra, a bit of that special sauce, a little bit of that zhuzh on top of all of the covers that he does. Because, like, it's really, it's, it's every cover that Joe Cocker does. I mean, he... That that initial stretch, man, where he was, like, touring with Mad Dogs and Englishmen, like, th- that's the – way. That's his, that's his voice when it's the best. Like, because you could listen to later stuff from Joe Cocker, and you can see he really struggles because he really relied on being able to have that sort of, like, that power that he used to, like, sing with his belly, you know? Uh, and once that started to decline, you can hear just his voice really suffered from it. But
2: – I feel – Oh, I, think. I, I feel like the the cover of the letter though is so successful because you have that great uh combination of Joe Joe Crocker or Joe Crocker um being able to because he was so good at like finding like new melodic lines in other people's work in in ways yeah. things so his his melodic phrasing on, on the letter in particular being and having Leon Russell come in and adding you know his you know plethora of studio work up to that time you know what i'm saying really led you yeah. to be able to adapt songs so well and so when you get the two combined like already having been adapting songs um you know joe joe cocker for himself and then leon russell in a studio musician uh form out in the california way you know what i'm saying um, I yeah. feel like that's why it's so successful, and almost I think most of the album is covers, and that one is just a, gr- a great standout. And like, you know what I mean? I'm glad you picked it, and it's a great showcase of uh um song interpretation.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So kudos, Mike. I like your pick.
1: Thank, thank you. I appreciate it for that pick. I appreciate it for that pick, Jeff. Yeah, I'll um... we'll start
0: off. I'll start off with my simple one. I'll I'll save the the real crazy ones for later. My, my first choice is a song from 1971 by one of our favorite groups, the Bee Gees, and it's called How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, and it was covered the next year by Al Green.
1: Mm. That Al Green version is so
2: Can I ask awesome. you guys a question? Which was the version that you guys heard first of the song? Al Green. Al Green for me too. Mike?
1: Yeah, Bee Gees. Bee Gees
2: was the one you heard first?
1: probably i mean if i'm a betting yeah, okay. man yeah i don't necessarily have a recollection of the first time i've heard that song but i would assume that it would probably be like the bgs on some greatest hits countdown list that would play at like three o'clock in the morning in like Mark, 2001
2: right on, right on. i was just curious so <laughs> anyway continue Jeffrey. yeah yeah uh
0: so this this song the bgs version is classic early bgs which is three-part harmony and lush kind of orchestral arrangement lots of different instrumentation going on. It's almost kind of like a, it sounds kind of like a country song. And then the Al Green version is pretty much the same feel, except it just stripped back. And it's just simple drums, bass, keyboards, a little bit of guitar and like three female backup singers. Uh, The Al Green version, like the lead vocals are pushed so hard They're like almost like fuzzy and distorted, which is kind of cool. It's it's a little frustrating because sometimes you listen to it on digital and it's like kind of hurts your ears a little bit. But it's very, it's typical Al Green style that hushed, very intimate kind of falsetto singing. And the female backing vocals are amazing. And I think there's some horn stuff in this as well. Uh, But yeah, two songs that pretty much have the same. I believe both are in the same key and they're pretty much the same speed. And the only difference is really like you're listening to three white Australian siblings sing together with an orchestra versus listening to a black American soul band cover it. So it's just like two different, completely different sides of music, but showing how two different sounds can have uh, great results with the same exact song. And I love this song. I love the lyrics. I love the melody. It's, it's a very memorable melodic yeah. song.
1: And not for nothing, man, but like listening to the Bee Gees version, it, it's like it always cracks a smile, you know, because we, we've talked how about like, how Bee Gees sing. And... Yeah. Can yeah.
2: I <laughs> love how the can be- it's, my hand in? it's got
1: that's what I'm saying though, but it's just it makes it, you smile, you it, it's know.
2: It's so sentimental it, when the Bee Gees sing about like that though. For me,
1: it's so it's, it's so, so tender because
2: they're, they're like no joke though. They're yeah. like really singing it from the heart, and I feel like yeah. that's what Al Green picked up when I feel like he heard that song, and that's why Al Green's that song is so well written because it's so like t- genuine. And then Al Green mm. takes it, and because it's so genuine, has a great feel. Uh, a white uh, Australian dudes, you know, sing it in their ballad way. And then Al Green takes it and makes it a soul classic because it has so much soul and mm-hmm. feeling and, and tenderness. And, right. uh, you know, when I first that first time I heard that song was when I first bought uh the, uh, the Al Green record, uh, Let's Stay Together. And it's on the B side. It might be the first song on the B side. And I remember that one blew my mind almost as much as Let's Stay Together blew my yeah. mind when I first got into that song. And I was like, Wow, what a song. Yeah. I can't believe this. And then I was like, The Bee Gees? Again, yeah, you know.
0: And it was kind of typical. So, it was it was almost like the reverse of what used to happen back then. Cause a lot of times it was like a black blues or R and B person doing a song and then a white British blues band would cover it like the next year and this is the exact yeah. opposite white <laughs> australians do it and the next year al green
2: does it so. yeah that that's one of the, like the one of the very rare cases that that happened
0: simple um, but, straightforward yeah. songwriting man it's it anybody could do a cover of the song and it'd work
2: yeah al green's voice though really shoots it over the top for yeah. me because it's just it's just so it's so specific yeah you know to the you know it's great great Highly yeah. recommend Seek it out. Great choice. All
0: right, Luca, yeah. what's what's your number two? That's round one.
1: Like Round one. Round two. Um,
2: all right. This is uh, <laughs> one I wanted to talk about because, um, I don't know, I just really, I really always like this one. This one is uh, I guess the opposite of what we just talked about. So um, this would be the one where I heard it the opposite way and then most people did. Um but the song is Mercy Mercy by uh, Don uh, Co- Covey. I don't know. if Is that how you would pronounce that? C-O-V-A-Y? Yeah, Covey, probably.
0: Yeah. Covey, um, yeah. So
2: what makes Don, so let's start with the original. What makes uh, the original so great of Mercy Mercy is, first of all, the guitar playing of a young Jimi Hendrix before the Jimi Hendrix experience. Oh,
0: really? Um, I was going to say, I loved the guitar on this
2: song. Do you hear the dum dum din, yeah. dum 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 That's Hendrix. Oh, wow. Day. Um, that's cool. And it's well documented that it's Hendrix because every audition that he went on when he first went to the UK, he was bragging I play on Don Covey's Mercy, Mercy. I play on that song. That's me. That guitar line, that's me. Nice. Um, and people in the UK knew that song very well because the cover I'm going to choose is the Rolling Stones cover of Mercy Mercy. The Rolling Stones. Mm. Right.
1: The Rolling Stones. So
2: if we're talking uh, <laughs> covers of Mercy Mercy, there's really no other cover other than the Rolling Stones cover. Um, it's on their Out of Their Heads album um, on the US and the UK version of that record. And on the US version, specifically, it's the lead trap Um for me, the difference between the original track and the Stones track is the original track is the great guitar line of Jimi Hendrix. Um, the Stones is the backbeat of um, Charlie Watts. It's got this like boom, cut, boom, boom, cut, boom, boom. And you could, om- if it was like a better recorded drum, you could sample it. Yeah. Uh, it's just got this great Northern Soul backbeat mod thing that was like on the bloom in England at the time. And I think they were a little head of the curve on it with it. They throw a really great backbeat on it. And it was a really signature song for the Stones back in the day. And I think it's one of their more successful covers of a black artist. Um, But the original is great because you get um, a young Jimi Hendrix just ripping it up playing uh, one of the best rhythm lines I think I've ever heard in my life. And the recording of it is very pronounced. You could hear it. You're like, oh, yeah, that's him all day. Very interesting.
0: It's super mm-hmm. simple, though. It's not like Hendrix, like how people might be thinking like it's all over the place. It's like very cut and dry R&B, like play the hits, don't add extra notes type of playing. But it's so oh, yeah. his, his style. You can hear the little trills he puts into things. Mm-hmm.
2: There's um a bootleg of him doing it in 1967 <laughs> in London on YouTube. If you want to uh, check it out, it's him and the experience doing it it's a little, it's a, it's not that great. Yeah. It's uh quality's bad, but just for a uh, reference of, you know, him on the song. Um, um, but yeah, so that, you know, that's one I wanted to throw out there. And, uh, the stones one, is always one of my favorite stone songs to listen to, even though it's, you know, it's probably one of my favorite, you know, stones covers. So, you know,
0: I like the middle where they, they do the unison, like high notes at the end of a, I think a verse or a chorus.
2: Yeah, and I, I think the song too, it like even with like the Stones version, especially they. Oh, I wanted to add one more thing. They got like the the falsetto singing on it, which like the Who. I feel like the Who kind of took Mercy, Mercy, and like just ran with it. They really like did that song like with the falsetto vocals. They they kind of took that kind of thing, and that was like right when they were like starting off. And I really think that's kind of like a great early Northern Soul mod song even though like the stones aren't a mod band that song is of that essence so i really enjoyed that
0: i like the stones cover but given the choice between the two i would never listen to the stones cover i love the original so much oh okay. but that's I that's like my sensibilities stones. i love mid-60s r&b soul music I so the I sound of like, yeah. the, the I, sparseness I, of it i like i the stones one is more juiced up which is cool but, yeah, I, love, I and I love Don Covey's uh, voice, or Covey. I loved his voice.
2: Yeah, a so it's a great vocal. Um, also, Keith Richards' fuzz fuzz out there as well. Yeah, it's like, Dine Dine Dine. it's like... It's more <laughs> angular and square. The original is more groovy and rocky. It yeah. almost, like, floats on a wave. Yeah, like, the
0: original doesn't really... It doesn't have, like, blues, like, seventh chords, and the Stones one leads heavily on that stuff.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Good choice. But,
2: mm. Yeah, just an interesting yin yeah. yang of of two. Songs I had never heard songs. either of them, and the Hendrix, you know, vibe always w- was so interesting to me too. And the fact that nobody else yeah. covered the song really, other than the Stones. So,
1: yeah, good choice. Right on. Well, you mentioned the Who earlier, man. I'm gonna take it to my next pick and
0: nice, nice Give you a little
1: applause. bit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what, Are you going to raise uh, a,
2: hush? a song uh, that bus? Are you going to raise a holler?
1: Listen. <laughs> Looking for a dollar? <laughs> yeah, man. Cuz there ain't no cure for the summertime uh. blues. Um so yeah, originally done by Eddie Cochran, I think 1966 if I am correct. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, 1966, I want to say. Oh no, I'm sorry. Released 1958, July 2nd, 1958 in the US and September of 1958 in the UK.
2: that doesn't sound right in at the all. UK.
1: Yeah, that's why it didn't sound right either because I remember, like look actually looking up the release date um just when I was like, you know, like looking it up and shit and I, yeah, 68 didn't sound right. Anyway, um yes, covered by The Who which now my thing, I was like my internal conflict, right? Cause I do love me a, the, like the version from, um, cheer. uh, blue cheer. Fuzz thank city. you. Yeah. And it's fuzz city. It's cool. That, you know, there there's a lot of cover. Yeah. There's a lot of covers of this song. Um, but I think that like, I don't know. I just went with the who simply because I think that the who are arguably one of the greatest live performance bands, Ever to walk the fucking earth. I don't, you know, they put Dynamite in Keith Moon's, the kick drum, you know, the, um, uh, you know, just the smashing of the guitars. I mean, everything, like just an incredible live band. And um, this song featured on live at Leeds. So it's the only live cut. It's only available as a live cut. Like, it's not like they covered this song and put it on like an actual studio album. Right. I think it's only a live version of this exists um... of the who. Or only in the live context, in other words. I don't think there's an actual studio recorded uh, version of the song by The Who. In contrast, Blue Cheer, it was a studio. It, I, actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think it opens their first, their debut album, Invictus, Eruptum, I think it's called. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. I just think that this is killer. I, I do love Eddie Cochran, too. Like, people who don't know who Eddie Cochran is, like... Uh, Just an incredible singer, and if uh, most likely you've seen at least his greatest hits, which is a black album cover with a very phallic-looking sort of uh, shape on it. But it's actually his hair, because you turn it around, and you look, and he has, like, this crazy... Like, you know what I'm talking about? You guys seem to have seen this, right? The pictures I've of, of him? i actually not what
2: you're talking about. I just know all his songs. I feel like Eddie Cochran's like a rock and roll pioneer and especially uh, yeah. would be popular with The Who because of the almost like rockabilly skiffle aspect to summertime blues. Um, you know what I mean? And almost like the commercial corniness of it, if that makes sense. It's like corny in the way that like Elvis is kind of corny because it kind of has like the 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 great like um um what i want to say like uh the bass vocal line part you know what i mean the great story of like you know the the garbage song you know like the kid didn't take out the garbage yeah it's, the
0: te- local it's all teen stories mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's, it's teen yeah it's like teen drama um you know like uh it's got like a lot of that kind of thing going on coca-cola nostalgia that kind of thing um and i think that it, it packaged well with like a rock and roll image and i feel like a lot of like the that's the first wave of rock and roll that was like really popular and i feel like a band like them yes. doing that song like amped up like they did in their their version like in the extreme like balls to the walls at 10 with the great key changes going upwards and downwards throughout the whole song yeah um i think it's just a great uh like what I want to say, tribute to the first great era of rock and roll.
1: Yeah, for sure. Here, here. Also, I would like to say that I misinformed you guys. I'm sorry. The album that I was thinking of was, yeah, I was gonna Wayne say, Cochran. What talking about? <laughs> and that's the greatest hits. Yeah, that's what it was. I'm sorry. I don't know why I confused Eddie Cochran oh and Wayne God. Cochran. But yes, right. So Wayne Cochran is the album. Eddie Cochran is obviously the album that I was talking about, but Eddie Cochran, not the same guy, but did write this song, Summertime Blues. Yeah, I just think it's amazing. I, I really chose it for the for the cover, um, because this the Who version of it is incredible. But, but I would say that the way that you had said it earlier, Luke, in terms of like kind of the celebration of like the first wave of kind of rock and roll and you know drive-ins and rumbles, yeah, and, you know stuff like that. For me, you know, like
2: when the Who do it, they it's like because the Who are also doing like a big operatic piece for 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 them to also be doing summertime blues in the same concert it's a nod to like who they are and who their fans are they're working class people they are you know the the people that can relate to summertime blues in a real way because they do it when they were kids and they related to it and that's who they were now at that age um also to like the music of like the uh the who version uh, one of the live at Leeds summertime blues the single release has one of the best solos ever. Oh my goodness, it's, it's oh, like yeah. dissonant and it like cuts in and out at the end, but oh, it's it's so good.
1: Yeah, and that's and just 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 the the work of Pete Townsend too, like his guitar work, man. Just like we said earlier, we were talking earlier, like on Instagram, like just big, dumb, loud. You know what I mean? Like there's 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 nothing quite. Uh, like as jarring, or like as a quite a you know a thing to behold, as like just a giant stack of amplifiers and a guitar just just knocking your head back. You know what I mean? I'm gonna be like, the contrarian
0: again. I don't know. I, I'm just saying, the there's something so never too.
1: to the Who version.
2: Uh, I love I, this, uh, the Who version. This Eddie Cocker
0: is like that's the sound of nah. 50s rockabilly teenage that like it's the sound you want yeah guitar part the hand claps and stuff man and just eddie cochran's voice like he should have been so much bigger i mean he was big at the time but he should be remembered like someone like elvis because he has such a better voice to me to me yeah i i I
2: think no, I like both versions for yeah. different reasons. I like the, the, the Who version yeah. for the giant celebration of yeah. rock and roll. I like the Cochran version for the original, um, you know, great statement of, you know, teenage, teenage yeah, life. Well,
0: sticking with that theme, here's my second book. Yeah. Uh,
2: this is a song
0: <laughs> that's sometimes known as Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, but it's really called Will You Love Me Tomorrow. And the original version, released in 1960 by the Shirelles, was the first Billboard Hot 100 number one song by a black girls group. And they were a group of 18 and 19-year-old girls who sang this song that was written for them by 18-year-old Carol King. And the lyrics of the song were written by Carol King's then-husband, Jerry Goffin. So that's the original 1960s very girl group early rock and roll sound where it's a little in your it's a love song, it's kind of sad, but it's kind of peppy and it's pretty much in your face. And the cover of this song was actually covered by the songwriter Carol King for her 1971 album Tapestry. And this is a version where now Carol King is 30, 31 years old, and she's recording a song she did when she, she wrote when she was 18 or 19. And this version is slower tempo, it's very simple piano and acoustic guitar. And she's joined on this song by James Taylor and Joni Mitchell, and they sing trio harmonies throughout the entire song. Uh, it's just two different perspectives of a song. And this is another song that just stands on its legs because it's so well written. It's so timeless. The first version, the Sherelle's version, is kind of like, sounds like teenage girls who, after the night going out with a guy, they're wondering, like, did it really mean anything? Was he just leaving me alone? Et cetera, et cetera. Is it going to go anywhere? I don't know. I hope so. And then the Carol King, when she's 30 years old, her version. She's now divorced from the guy who co-wrote the song with her. And hers is like this plaintive plea of like, I have needs and I have expectations, and I hope you're still here tomorrow. And it's and she never she doesn't change the lyrics, but it takes on a completely different meaning. And it's so cool because it's such a departure. The two the two versions couldn't meet be more different, but they're the same exact song. Hmm.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, man. Talk about, I mean, like Carol King, what a songwriter, man. Like, I think people yeah. sleep on Carol King, you know what I mean? In terms of like just knowing how many songs, I mean, she was writing songs that, I mean, Aretha Franklin did her songs. Um, I mean, how many, like, I can't even think. I mean, obviously, James Taylor has played her songs, but like, she was, yeah, I mean, just a phenomenal songwriter. Yeah, and writer, she wrote
0: man. a lot for, and she wrote for everybody, uh, groups, especially. Teen bop type of groups in the sixties. Uh,
2: right,
0: Little yeah. Eva. Right, The yeah, locomotion yeah, was well. one of her songs she co-wrote with Jerry Goffin, which then you know we know it from the Kylie Minogue version in yep.
1: the late eighties. Uh,
0: or,
2: or Grant, Grant Funk.
1: Funk. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Grant Funk. Grant Funk's my my locomotion when, uh, band.
2: Uh, will you still love me? Uh, will you love me tomorrow? like the Shirelles version, it's such a, a a great breakthrough song too for like black music girl groups um of that time and it really like pushed on the great music forward and it's it's a such a classic, classic song. And like Jeff said too, it it really, you know, besides like all the, the weight I just said, it really has like a like more of like an optimistic you know, kind of like teenage aspect of when she wrote it and then the, the later version, you know, on Tapestry is great and more reflective and of somebody who's lived more of a life, I feel. Even though, like, Carol King didn't record the first one, it still has, like, an aspect of maybe what, like, I imagine like the teenage, because obviously it's like, this is the arrangement, right? So it's the arrangement of a faster, more up-tempo, teenaged Thing. and i really love the yin and yang of that and i think it's such a great choice and such a beautiful highlight of uh two artists and two you know the same artists i guess it's you know different points in their career and uh how you can really the same thing can look so very different yeah exactly right you know what i mean it's yeah. very yin and yeah it's you, you
0: know? i mean if you played them back to back were you if you put them in a playlist People wouldn't even realize that you just played a cover of the same song. They're just, they sound, <laughs> yeah, still,
2: yeah.
0: They're just such a different mood, such a different meaning behind
2: them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great choice. Great choice. Yeah. That's the, the catchphrase. Yeah. The great yeah. choice.
1: Luca, why don't you tell us? Why don't you hit us with your number three,
2: my man? Uh, my number three, I chose uh, probably a very controversial one. Uh, but I actually like both versions of the song. There are different reasons. Um, but here we go. So, the song is That's Alright. Sometimes known as That's Alright Mama. Uh, the original being by Arthur Big Boy up, and the uh, cover being by Elvis Presley. Um, so, I'm gonna talk Elvis about- Presley
0: sang covers of black blues artists?
2: Yes! And this is like, <laughs> since not, when? This <laughs> what? This is
0: breaking news. <laughs>
2: This controversial. First, You're right. This is the first time someone caught him doing it. <laughs> Would it be the last? <laughs> All right. That's why oh. uh, is 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 controversial for what Jeff just said because obviously it it has a legacy of a white artist profiting off of what a black artist had written and really done well, you know, on its own. Um Arthur, Big Boy up his version of the song is great. Um, it's pretty much like a blues standard. Um, I've tried to like dive deep into some of his other music and a lot of it is pretty much like kind of derivative of this lyrical uh, theme and, um, you know, phrasing and all that stuff um, from what I've listened to. Um, not that it's not bad. It's just kind of, you know, it is what it is. You have the
0: blues, but it was only one shade kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people, that's, like, their deal, and that's kind of what I found it to be. Um, I think me and Jeff spun it one night very late. Uh, I got, like, an RCA, like, a, you know, best of kind of thing, like, sides. But um, it's a great recording, and it's very historic, um, but for and – and so this is why it's really forefronted. Elvis took this song, and this is his first recording for Sun Records. Um, Sam Phillips released this on a 45. Um, the song itself, it's got no drums on it, but that stand-up bass rocks so hard. The click-clack of it is so drum-like. Um, it's the quintessential rockabilly record. I don't think there's ever, be- I don't think there was ever a better rockabilly record released. Elvis is crooning over the top of it. It's so white boy um it's like um you know it's imitation all day um and he's inflecting almost like a um a yodel on top of it that kind of deal um you know uh was that blue yodel number six it's got like that whole vibe on it mixed with what the song originally is um and the swinging clappity bass on it is you know probably my favorite part on it um and the fact that it doesn't have drums on it really is my favorite part about it because it's so percussive. Yeah, um, it's so
0: bare. It's pretty cool to actually listen to and be like, this was rock and roll once? Because this only took like two people standing in a room to do.
2: Yeah. the yeah. Obviously, too, the uh, great recording of Sam Phillips with the, uh, it's run back through um, and when it's run back through, is run back through and uh, reverbed. So that's why it's got that great sound on it, too. But I mean, absolutely a quintessential rockabilly track, the start of Elvis's career. And for me, if Elvis only made this one record, this is the only Elvis record that I need. I think this is the most important one. It's the one I care about the most. It's the one I like to listen to the most. Um, It's my favorite one. It's the best one. Um, And for me, if he only released this record, I think it would have been just as influential. I think all the other artists would have still took what it it was off of it. You know what I mean? Because like, uh, as... You know, epic as the song is in rock and roll mythology. Um, let's not forget, Ike Turner still recorded. Uh, you know, Rocket 88. You know what mm-hmm. I mean. So that that's all awesome. respect yeah.
0: and no respect to Ike Turner. Yeah.
2: Yes. All respect and you no know, respect. I yeah, I, I agreed. But <laughs> you, you know, what I'm, you you know what I'm trying to say. This yeah. Time. So yeah. There's all of that.
1: Yeah, it's right uh, on.
2: Two great, two great verses of the song, uh, rock and roll history as well. So. Check out both. Yeah,
0: it's, it it is very much that yodeling quality because it is so minimal. It really yeah. just sounds like how it would have sounded like if people were just chilling on their porch and playing on a Friday night out in the yeah. woods,
2: like, like his like the like yo the way you do like like. Yeah, Arthur, all that stuff is Arthur cool. is not doing that. At no, well. that's Elvis's flair all day. So like, you got to give him at least like style effort in mm-hmm. like the way he interpreted the song and really like, you know, you know what it is. It's great. Great in both ways. Definitely. So, anyway. I don't know.
0: Good choice. No, I like them.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, great, great uh,
1: pick
0: there.
2: Thanks.
1: Great pick. Great pick. Great with pick. That. that was just an all right pick. <laughs> um, for, my, <laughs> for my pick number three, I'm going to go with um, one of my favorite songs, both versions. I absolutely love both versions for like in Same. their own different way. But um you may have heard it as it is the I think the opening theme song for the show Big Mouth, right? Um, the song changes originally written and released by Black, performed by Black Sabbath, later to be performed by Charles Bradley. Uh, and yeah, man, I I just I love the fact that Charles Bradley heard a soul song in this, you know. Um and I just think his performance of it is absolutely amazing. I mean, I I love 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 Black Sabbath, but between these two versions, my preference is definitely the Charles Bradley version just cuz I love the horns. I just I love everything about it. Like I just think it's such a phenomenal cover um of an already phenomenal song, so I don't know. I just I I as in terms of an original and a cover, I think these two both just really hold up. Yeah, on.
0: one of the rare Black Sabbath songs I mean, not to feature any guitar or drums.
2: No, it's just like a straight piano loop
0: piano, yeah. Mellotron, and bass and sing and
1: vocals. Yeah.
0: I love the vocals on the Black Sabbath version, especially when it gets to the chorus. And it's like, I don't know if they put in a little bit more delay, a little bit more reverb, or, or even like put another tracking of the lead vocals because the whole thing's already double tracked. But the way it sounds on the chorus just, like, gives it this, like, cutting, almost tinny kind of, like, harmonic sound on top of it. It's just so – it's so yeah. cool sounding.
2: Uh,
1: yeah. So, yeah.
2: like, when I first heard the song, it was on my, – my dad had Black Sabbath Greatest Hits on CD, uh, and this was one of the tracks on it. And obviously, this was, like, the track that was way different than every other track. Every other track was, like, heavy metal music, right? And then this one's like a piano song. Um, and as a kid, you know, when you're little, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, Black Sabbath can be very scary. You know what I mean? The yeah. first album, the first song on that The Greatest Hits album was Black Sabbath. You know what I mean? So the rain, the devil, it's very scary. But this song always kind of let me know that, like, they were good guys. And that, like, as a kid, you know what I mean? That, like, there was, like, another side to it. I was like, oh, you know what I mean? Um and it was always really sentimental and as i got older i always heard a soul cover of this like i told mike all the i was like man i was like this is like a soul song like nobody hears it yet i was like because it's black sabbath but it, it, this is like a soul song and then when i heard the charles bradley i was like oh my god i can't believe somebody did this and it's the perfect version the perfect way um yeah the, i want to talk about the sabbath one though before we get really into the Bradley version. The Sabbath one to me all day sounds like, and what Ozzy, what I think looks like, and nobody really realizes what he's trying to dress up as, or not dress up as, but inspired by, is Lenin. That to me is like a Lenin song all day. Ozzy sings it like it's a Lenin song. It's got the piano, it's there, it's stripped down. Uh, Ozzy wears the purple circle sunglasses, he's got the long hair to his shoulder. Um, it's one of his idols you know what I mean so for me that's like what it really harkens back to and I think it's a a great song so that's me to the Sabbath version to the Bradley version though
1: I mean it's just so it's so good yeah yeah he takes
0: like a simple song and he just makes it so powerful absolutely because at the time he recorded he was like 60 years old he was a guy who was a lifer in the music industry without ever really breaking And ever gain any success other than kind of being known as like a James Brown, like light, you know, kind of like almost like a James Brown impersonator. I think he actually did that for a time in his younger days. And then he links up with Brooklyn hipsters uh, playing, uh, you know, soul music. And they're like, let's make some albums. And he just got back, got into the public consciousness, especially with the opening theme of, big mouth on Netflix. Like I love that show. So I hear that song a a ton and it's, it's so moving. It's so, it's very much like the, will you love me tomorrow where you hear the black Sabbath version and it sounds kind of like the road worn 30 year old guys who are rocking hard for six, seven straight years. And then they're just like, we want to do something that's just a change of pace. And then Charles Bradley is a thing. Like I have a great song in my hands and I've been dying to sing a great, great, great soul ballad, and he just kills it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just I love the way his voice is just like try, It's like you can hear the effort that that it takes for him to even like deliver the lyric. You know what I mean? To hear his voice just, re- and I mean that's just how his voice is on all the other tracks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's just how he sings. But to hear that kind of like gut wrenching kind of way that he the way that he sings i find it to be almost a little bit reminiscent of maybe the way that tony iommi plays cuz t- tony iommi in contrast is was always gives gives you this thing where it's just kind of like he's just claw- like just clawing his way like his bends when he would bend on guitar he kind of claws his way up to the to the note that he's trying to hit you find that a lot with Bradley's sort of way of singing, too, where you can hear he's just like, it's like this gut wrenching effort that it's it's taking everything out of him.
2: Well, I love like what Jeff said. Like when Bradley heard this song, too, like I heard him say, like he had never heard this song. So, like, us in the rock canon had heard the song in volume four. Obviously, the first four Sabbath albums are, you know, classic in the rock canon. But, um, you know, so we all hear hear this as a rock thing, but he's looking for his great song to sing right he's never really heard this song, so when he hears it, he hears such an inspiring thing in his life. you know what I mean like man, I've gone through mm. changes, I know what that's like. I've felt that pain, you know, and uh yeah, he sings it with humility uh with a dignity that I feel like this song always deserved uh to be in. I feel like finally like this song gets. It's moment in the sun of having it's like sophisticated. This is the way it's supposed to be done. The way it's supposed to be sung. This is obviously the the, the definitive version of the song. Um, my favorite version is the KEXP live version of it. Um, oh, it's so like, good. Cra- he like just singles. I'm gonna cry right now just thinking about it. He like I somebody in the audience that's having the emotional reaction, and he just locks eyes with them. He walks into the audience and he just like hugs them. And they're both crying. They're both in the moment. And it's no bullshit. It's all real, real emotion, real music, real crying, real tears. You know what I mean? And that's where it like yeah. really cut through for me. And I think about it every time I hear the song. It cuts through um, the music video too, right? It's just Bradley straight up emoting to his own music, uh, bringing you the tears. It this shits. This, it's like the stuff of... When you know, when they say music has like you know, has religious power, this is that song all day. Um, there's a lot loaded in it, so if you you know, yeah, it's great song, great song,
0: great All song. right, all right, Charles Bradley. I think you died. All right, three,
1: three, three yeah, Peace,
2: the screeching R. R. eagle of soul,
1: yeah, yeah, man. Well, there, there's my pick number three, Jeff. My third team, pick
2: I mean.
0: is from an artist that I would consider one of the most underrated solo artists of all time. And that's a man by the name of Harry Nielsen, who's someone that you may not know that name, but you definitely know his music. You know, coconut, you put the lime in the coconut, you know, everybody's talking at me from midnight cowboy. Um, And there's probably five other songs. Jump into the fire is another big hit. His biggest hit was not a big hit for him. But he did the original in 1968, and that's the song one. The biggest hit of this song was a cover by Three Dog Night the next year in 1969, which went to number five. But I'm not going to talk about that one. My cover is a different (laughs) version. But side note, Three Dog Night, did you guys realize, do you know how many top 10 hit songs that that band had? Like 20. They had 33 top 40 songs and 11 top 10 songs. Yeah. And I can name like three. So the early 70s, man, it was a, it was a, it was a whirlwind.
1: <laughs> Listen, cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> uh,
0: that,
2: the Three Dog Night docu- uh, documentary is one that I was so interested because in I know mm. the songwriting talent around them mm. was of Harry Nielsen status.
0: Yeah, so Harry Nielsen, original version of this song, 1968. The cover I'm going to talk about is from 1995 from a tribute album to Harry Nielsen, because he died in 1994. And that tribute album is called For the Love of Harry, Everybody Sings Nielsen. And this cover of one is by singer and actor Amy Mann. Now I know the cover, let's talk about that. I know the cover from its inclusion in the 1999 film Magnolia, which is an ensemble drama by Paul Thomas Anderson. And this song, Amy Mann's cover of One, plays over the opening credits and intros because the movie is about like six different storylines. And so it does quick cuts of all the different characters you're going to meet later in the movie. And the back into that is Amy Mann's version of One. I love both versions of these songs so much. They are pretty different while remaining very similar at the same time the Harry Nielsen version is simple just high-pitched bum 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 piano stabs and he I guess he was inspired by the dial tone or the busy tone of a phone line (laughs) so that's what it sounds like when it starts and this is just pure amazing songwriting The lyrics, the melody, the mood of the song, it reminds me a lot of Elliott Smith's music later on in the 90s. But it's really just simple piano, very mournful singing. The song is about loneliness, and it is so apparent in the way that Harry Nielsen sings this song. There's orchestral parts, there's some strings, there's some oboe and flute that comes in, but it's very, very minimal. It's like the epitome of bedroom pop ballad like that chamber pop that was popular in the 60s because harry nielsen was one of those artists that like had mainstream success and pretty much never played live he never did any tours he never never did any big shows he like played a handful of live tv performances in like his first two years as an artist and then he just like released bedroom made like at home studio albums where he would play pretty much half the instruments on all of his albums so the original, amazing. The Amy Mann cover is is awesome in its own right because it keeps that that mood where it starts with a very simple piano. But this version is produced by John Bryan, who we talked about on, I think it was the last episode, where we talked about our favorite favorite albums was our last episode, I think, of oh, last yeah. year. So John, John I- Bryan was the collaborator on the album circles by Mac Miller. So John Bryan produced this Amy man cover of one and he played almost every instrument on it. So he adds in Mellotron, which we heard in the black Sabbath version of changes. He adds in a little bit of drum set in this kind of like psychedelic freak out part. It's very much in the background. He plays some slide guitar in it. He does some co-lead vocals, some harmony vocals and It's just an update of a song that came out 30 years prior that just kind of adds a little bit more sparkle, a little something extra on it, but keeps that very, I mean, it is a very sad song, but it's so beautiful and it's so catchy. And everyone knows the Three Dog Night version, but check out the Amy Mann version from that tribute album to Harry Nielsen and from the movie Magnolia.
2: Great shout-out, Jeff. I really wanted to do a show like this, too, to shout-out, like, personal favorite covers. It may not be the cover that's most famous, but the cover that you think is, like, that hits you personally the best. And I really like that, uh, the suggestion. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, great choice, man. And, yeah. and it's interesting. I wanted, like, to see if things would come up like this where, you know, you're like, oh, well, I don't want to really choose that version, but it's the more popular one. So it's a great shout out and, uh, you know, great, like, Hey, look this way. Cause it's uh, some interesting music that you might not have heard, you know?
0: Also side note, check out the movie Magnolia. If you haven't seen it before, it yeah. features, if it's Tom Cruise in a supporting part, maybe the first time he was in a supporting part since he was like in his mid twenties, he plays this pickup artist guy who holds like conferences for guys He's so douchey. He's so per- he's so perfect. It's such a <laughs> it's so it's such a good movie. It's such a good movie. Magnolia,
2: right on, Jeffrey, and I love yeah. The, the Neil kind of great line. choice, man. Yeah, yeah. Both artists, really great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, here we are, the last run of the. Well, I should say our last two songs each. So, Luke, why don't you uh, usher into us into the next, the final, the downturn? Yeah, because it's yeah. We have two songs each yeah yeah so that was your number three jeff so this is luke's number four sure yeah right
0: are we doing five or four
1: each Five. Oh, because you four. say what two are, songs
0: i assume so Four.
1: What? i mean i mean yeah I'll i'm get sorry about
0: was... the covers originals the oh. math yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: all right so anyway
1: so four total but two <laughs> oh okay two more rounds of right four songs each total
2: yeah. yes okay <laughs> wow <laughs> Math over here, jeez. <laughs> That's like
0: Griswold like gonna... Public Schools education, man. <laughs> I feel like oh, I'm going to over
2: again. Um, my next choice was um one that I kind of wanted to do because it was more like in the alternative route, and I thought that you guys weren't really going to go that way, so I chose the meat Tup. Uh, the meat pup. It's the meat Puppets <laughs> Uh, song plateau. Um, originally released on Meat Puppets 2. Um, and then the Nirvana cover, which was released on Unplugged with members of the Meat Puppets. But, I mean, uh, they're playing acoustic guitar, so like, what does that really matter? Um, I think he just wanted to get his friends paid. But besides that, yeah. let's talk about um, the importance of you know, the song in general. So the, the real fact about the song is really, I don't think a lot of people would know what it was you know, or know who the meat Puppets were if it weren't really for Nirvana and the Unplugged album. Um, It's the last thing that was released by Nirvana pretty much um, right before Kurt Cobain's death. It was released afterwards on the album, but obviously came out on TV in his lifetime, duh. But um, it was kind of like a showing of where Nirvana, Nirvana had been and where they had come from. And I feel like it was answering a lot of, like, oh this new band this new sound and Nirvana were kind of like no, well not really guys like there's a lot of other people that came before us um, and I feel like their Unplugged show was a great tribute because in the Unplugged you have Meat Puppets covers the Meat Puppets are there Pat Smear's there representing the first wave of punk um, uh, being in the germs uh, and now playing with the band um, you have the classic rock throwback with David Bowie and then you also have the original um like folk music like to when music was first recorded with the lead belly cover at the end of uh where did you sleep last night in the pines um so i mean that's where i think the album is great i don't think a lot of people really realize what that it is mostly all covers and influences um so i wanted to speak to the meat puppets because if you listen to the meat puppets too it is grunge 10 years before grunge it is a great record the songwriting on it's great it is dirty messy um, it sounds like it was recorded with sand in the speakers kind of thing. But um, the song Plateau, for me, is a fun, it's got absurdist lyrics in it um, that really would show where songwriting was going in the alternative uh, thing. This Meat Puppets record was way ahead of its time. Everybody at the time was into hardcore, and the Meat Puppets kind of slowed down, got grungier, focused on songwriting, um, and were more nodding at their classic rock peers. Which is why I think Nirvana were so successful. And I just love the parallels uh, that Nirvana made in shouting it out. Um, I think the Nirvana cover is amazing as well. It makes it more palatable, shows the strength in songwriting and arrangement from a band that was on Black Sabbath, uh, not Black Sabbath, uh, Black Flags record label. So this is what I'm talking about. It's like, shows it where, like, the high class of it, and that was really a worthy song and great. And um, gave you a tunnel back. So that's why I thought it was a good cover on cover. Also, the Meat Puppets play on the Nirvana cover. As he invited them to play with them. To kind of showcase that it was a connection kind of thing. So I just thought it was really cool. And I loved the uh, the parallels between both of them.
1: Yeah, I dig the song too. I mean, I really wasn't hip to the Meat Puppets until... Really, we started doing this podcast, man. Because we started off with Black Flag. I mean, I think after that we did... Um, uh, it was because Little Richard in the past. We did Little Richard, but then yeah, I mean, we kind of like steered everything back. And I think maybe the first half of the year of last year of this podcast, we did we were talking heavy on like the SST records and the uh, you know and like that whole thing, and then Meat Puppets, and um, I can't remember. Like Minute Man, Minute everything. And yeah, Minute Man. Thank you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So all these bands were kind of in the rotation, but yeah, it's interesting to hear that stuff because like. I definitely think that the um the Nirvana unplugged version of that song. I mean, that's how I know that song. Right. I mean, and I think that's how I think that's how everybody knows that song. But then you hear the Meat Puppets tune, and not for nothing. I mean, I'm biased. Like I I I prefer the Nirvana version just because I think that like maybe that's not a biased thing, but like I I prefer because I just I like Kurt's voice a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the Meat Puppets version. Like it's maybe it's, I don't want to say it's more honest, but it's more, you know, it's the original. So you kind of like hear, you hear the original, like the vision, you know, when you hear the Meat Puppets version. But I, and, like, and not for nothing, man, there's three, what, there's three Meat Puppets tunes on that album. Yeah. Uh,
2: Lake of Pine, you know, Plateau, um, and, I can't and
1: Oh Me. Yeah,
2: yeah, Oh Me. And they're all um, Meat Puppets too.
1: Yeah, they're all, and they're Puppets all Puppets back too, to so back I, in the
0: show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I just dig that, man. I mean, obviously, there's, uh, you know, the great album, there's certain great albums, and they're great for a reason, obviously. And, uh, you know, Nirvana Unplugged is no exception. But, yeah, um, I just
2: wanted to throw it out too for like a million sold of Nirvana Unplugged. Like, and there's not millions sold of that Meat Puppets record. And there's three songs on it. So, that's why I just think it's so interesting. The, the, like, you know what I mean? It's like, and Kurt even says it, but people just don't pick up on it. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to. Something I wanted to highlight: a weird, weird. weird I like look.
0: the I like the tepid response in the mm-hmm. Nirvana unplugged because how the unplugged song those shows go, they like basically strum out the first six measures, and you hear like yeah, woo, we know the song, and they get like five measures into this song, and you hear just like, all right, what the fuck is what, what the fuck is this? We don't, <laughs> This isn't. Yeah. This isn't from Nevermind. Uh, right. I, I love the,
2: the psychedelic lyrics too. Like
0: great yeah i i had never heard the Meat puppets version until this week when you had sent me your picks and i like their the original version so much more than the nirvana version
1: yes yeah
0: yeah man i love the outro too where it gets like weird and there's like leslie effects and stuff yeah uh and i had never since i never heard the original i guess i never made the connection listening to the nirvana unplugged but this song, the melody is basically "Lake of Fire." It's like the same exact melody, <laughs> <laughs> which is the other Meat, another Meat Puppets song that they did, "The Unplugged." And I, I know "Lake of Fire." We played it with Cat Mouth, and but yeah, yeah, I, I started the Meat Puppets version. And I'm just like, this is definitely the the same exact melody.
1: Yeah. But that's what I mean. You can hear, like, the the, the influence, you know? Like, you hear Meat Puppets, and, and Nirvana kind of makes sense in that way, like, you know? And it's interesting to think that, like, something like the Meat Puppets was happening in 1983 when you're talking about, like, that's kind of like the heyday that rise for, like, the hair metal bands and the... You know what I'm saying? Like, hair metal doesn't die until a little bit later on. Like, that, you know... It makes I, sense, though,
0: because it, it's very much like R.E.M., because it's, it's acoustic-based. It's not grunge where it's, like, the... Power distortion guitars. It's all sloppy acoustic
2: stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's the birth of it. It's it's the
1: birth of it. Yeah. Yeah, because you'd even see like the acoustic grunge thing go on with, um, oh, what was that? What's that band? Days of the New, you know what I mean? Which was kind of like, I think a later on, obviously, like offshoot of maybe like the acoustic, like the only acoustic but heavy kind of songs kind of vibe. You guys ever listen to Days of the New? Nope. And I finally found a reason. I don't need no excuse. I got this blood on my hands. You never heard that song? No. No. Come on, guys. What are you talking about? You, you were raised on grunge. Ish. Grunge-ish.
0: Chris Novoselic <laughs> <Right. laughs> over here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, then my number four, right? We're in the correct order this time, I think. Uh, my number four, I'm going to go with a... I mean I you know, a classic but a classic in I think a way that the most people how most people know the classic song, but it's a song called Love Hurts, originally released in nineteen sixty one by the Everly Brothers, written in nineteen sixty. Um but uh another version covered by Roy Orbison was released that same year. But the the big, big version it was it was it, I mean it went on, you know, other people covered it too. Uh but the big version, and I think it was as a result of being in the movie uh, Dazed and Confused, arguably the quintessential uh, coming-of-age makeout song. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, Love Hurts. Uh, you know, I do. I, I dig the song. I, I went with the Nazareth version. Uh, you know, to, you know, because first of all, I mean, Roy Orbison, you know, redid it the same year that the song came out. Anyway, um, but. Uh it was interesting to AB these two songs cuz I found that I I I do prefer the Everly Brothers version of this song over the Nazareth version. Um I don't know why I never really liked this song.
0: They're so <laughs> It was never so wildly different
1: yeah well that yeah and like the nazareth version is so just like it's just so whiny to me. i love
0: that i love that part like i
1: love it too i love it too <laughs> but
0: it's like yeah but it's and, so and it gets like higher it's higher and higher and you're like what
1: the yeah fuck? yeah but it's just like on some wedding singer <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you're just like exactly. you i thought know, it was
0: from an adam sandler movie i couldn't remember what movie no it but was he like,
1: does Maybe it's in a movie. I know in Wedding Singer he does the Love <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm. Um,
1: this, but yeah, Love Hurts. Like it's just it's such a great song. Yeah. The Nazareth version just cracks me up. <laughs> it's, the it's Everly it's Brothers and I so and I really job. enjoy the Everly Brothers version. Like I really like it. Genuinely, I enjoy the Everly
2: Brothers. I love the Everly version Brothers of it because it's so like classy and beautiful. Like a great like, classic <laughs> yeah. rock and roll song. Yeah, and it's then- like
1: that early sixties like bat like classical mm. sort of. With ballad, there's strings, there's like, yeah, and
2: then, like, yeah, I think, right, the strings. Nazareth version. It's just like, I just got in a fight with my girlfriend, and me and the boys are gonna go drinking down by the reservoir of the TV. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like, right, leather, right, right, right.
0: Pants and a handle of Jack Daniels, <laughs> yeah,
2: <that's>,
1: yeah <laughs> hanging out in like a water
2: tower. I love you know, how different <laughs> like, they are, like, like, like they're not days. the same vibe no. at all. Yeah, times. I like them, but I for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, the close harmony singing. On "Love Hurts," um, very influential. Uh, obviously, Simon and Garfunkel like stealing that vibe all day long in the later '60s. Um, so, a great original classic rock song, and a song that did, uh, I think, wonders for uh, harmony arrangement in pop music.
0: Are the Everly Brothers the best brothers in rock and roll history?
2: Um. Oh no! Not even close. No,
0: who who's better?
2: Um, I don't know. I I think there's better there's better sibling pairs out there. I just think
1: with brothers in the name, is that what we're I talking about, or just oh, brothers? I literal know, brothers?
2: I oh, obviously, I think we talked about like some of the better brothers, the Gibbs.
1: Oh, yeah, the Gibbs.
2: Uh, great Everly Brothers, though. Van Halen. I don't know if anybody's got like that the song canon of the Everlys, the original rock and roll canon mm. that they have is so so profound and great,
0: especially uh, the singing because. Because it's like they said in the Bee Gees documentary, there's nothing like siblings who have pretty much, like, a same, like, physicality, like, you know, come from the same parents, so they have similar
1: larynx and throats and the whole instrument is kind of similar. And the, oh, I think the free design there's another band, yeah, that are all siblings. Yeah, kites
2: are fun, not those that, are that, s- that those
0: sounds. are soul sisters, those weren't real siblings.
2: <laughs> um,
1: no, I thought they were real I thought, siblings. I thought the free design were, they were, yeah, I Mike's the, were
0: official, the official, unofficial biographer of the free design. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, nobody else was doing no, no, it, so guess like, I guess I fun. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, I did, I did cut you off to, to, no. <laughs> to say, to talk about anytime that. Anytime you I, can bring I, up to I owe you an apology.
2: apology. Oh, my God. And you great... Come on, up, <laughs> come on, up, come on. on. Yeah, man, the
1: Everly
0: Brothers sound so good
1: together.
2: It really it sounds yeah. so good. Um,
1: yeah, and like Lou said, it's just such a classy... Yeah. Lo- it, it's amazing how it came from this classy song to just this sleazy <laughs> 70s, like, <laughs> garbage tune. Even though I love it, I love it. But it's funny how they... Oh, it reminds me of whiter
0: would... shade of pale by Procol haram
1: oh haram, yeah Brokol yeah because um, yeah. it's the same thing it's
0: just the like kind of organ in the background low in the mix and then just like screeching singing on top
1: yeah
2: uh jeff is that what is your favorite cover of this song is it the nazareth version or do you have another cover of the song that you enjoy?
1: No,
0: I mean the, the,
2: the Nazareth version, man. Oh, I wanted to, see it to be me fair. Of, sh-
0: shared it, it makes it. me feel like I'm in a Budweiser commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see
2: if you were hip to the uh Graham Parsons Emily Lou Harris version.
0: You know what, man?
1: That
2: version is. I don't good. know.
0: I don't know enough about Graham Parsons like I should. Uh, I know some. I had his collection with the Burrito Brothers, Fine Burrito Brothers, and all that, but I don't. I've never gotten big into his stuff.
2: Check out that. Yeah, Luke, version. you
1: turned me on to that one
2: today. Yeah, check out that version. Um I do like
0: Emily Lou Harris, though.
2: Emily Lou Harris and uh I think it's off of the second Graham Parsons solo hmm. record GP. Um it, uh, it's it's amazing. Or I think the second one's actually called Three with Angel. Um, but at any rate, whatever it is, it's uh on one of his solo albums. It's also on his live album uh and that one is my favorite version. So check that out. Emily Lou Harris and uh Graham Parsons do another I'll cover. check it. Honorable
1: mention. Yep. Great cover. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Alright, well, there's my number four, Jeffrey.
0: Yeah, my number four is Lay It On us. A song by a former Beatle. You may have heard of him. His name's <laughs> his name's John Lennon. This <clears> is <throat> a song from 1971 off of his Imagine album. And this song's called Jealous Guy. And the cover of this came out the next year. From a soul artist's live album, Donny Hathaway's version from his live album is the cover. So the original is like very classic Lennon, especially that Imagine era, where it's it's pretty piano. It's very reminiscent of like the El- the Elton John ballads, and then there's some sustained strings, and then some lead violins come in throughout. But it's a very straightforward, simple piano ballad. The Donny Hathaway version the next year, I don't know. I would be hard-pressed to name a, especially an R&B soul singer that I like the voice of more than Donny Hathaway.
1: Same here, man. This
0: live album, I can't name a live album that I enjoy more than, than Donny Hathaway's live album. Which I think is only eight songs, and he recorded... Over two days, one, the first side, he did four songs at the Troubadour in Los Angeles and then the back four songs he did at the Bitter End in New York City. Um, this Donny Hathaway version features some great players on it, including Cornell Dupree on guitar, who was a guitarist who played with everybody in rhythm and blues and rock music in the late 60s and 70s up through the 80s and 90s. Um, he played with Aretha Franklin a lot. It features Willie Weeks on bass, who played on everybody's sessions in the '70s and '80s, and is currently Eric Clapton's bassist. It features 16-year-old Fred White on drums, who was the first drummer for Earth, wind and Fire. 16 years old played on, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's just—it's it, incredible. It's. It's still a ballad. It's still understated, but Donny Hathaway, I mean, some of the phrasing he does on this is just some of the best shit I've ever heard. And like, I sing along to this song. And this is one of those songs that I put on to try to be a better, you know, to to practice to to be a better singer because every lick he has on this is perfect. His tone is so beautiful, and sadly, like Donny Hathaway is one of those meteoric figures in music because he just had a really troubled personal life and really bad mental health problems. So he came onto the scene, started recording stuff in 1969. Then he recorded music for the next five years. And then he spent like six years in and out of mental institutions. He actually was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia the year before he made the live album. So he spent his late 20s and early 30s just kind of you know, lost and in a lot of personal strife and troubles. And then he started to make a comeback. He was going to do another duets album with Roberta Flack in 1979, but he showed up for the session and he like started having this paranoid delusional like breakdown about how white record executives were like trying to steal his voice and his soul through like recording and like the literal microphones were trying to steal his soul so, like, the producers were just like, uh, we thought we were, you were ready to make music again, but, like, clearly now you gotta, like, go get some help. And later that night, he went back to his hotel room and he jumped from the 15th floor and killed himself. And he was 33 years old. So, like, Donny Hathaway, Jeez. like, he put out, I mean, if it's 60 songs in his whole life, it might be 50 songs. It's, it's, I think it's four studio albums, one of which is a, a duet's album with Roberta Flack, and then this live album this live album i'm telling you man is the best shit it's like the best shit i've ever heard in my life and his version of jealous guy i i heard before i heard the original john lennon and the john lennon one is this like you know it's 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 more like wistful and kind of just like like a guy sitting there playing a the piano and just kind of re- uh, reflecting on like what a jerk he is and like how he wish he could love but you know he just can't get out of his own bad habits and the donny hathaway thing is this, like, impassioned, just, it's, I mean, you gotta listen to this song, man. Jealous Guy, the Donny Hathaway version, is, like, it's one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life.
2: The Ellen John, I mean, the Ellen John, whether I say that, the John Lennon version comes off very singer songwritery to yeah. me, of, of the time. And then, like, the Donny Hathaway version just comes off, like, it's definitely got, like, all the power of, like, you know, Great musicians reinventing the the choruses are powered up with the great uh, background vocals. Yeah. They're doing the jealous guy. Yeah, that, yeah, that riff. Oh, so great! His backup singers are so on point, and they like never leave him behind, like leaving mm-hmm. him free to vo- do the great vocalizational phrases that he does over it. Um, it and it's like the Lennon song comes off kind of like square. You know what I mean? Singer songwriter dude with a piano. And then like the Hathaway version is just completely uh, reinvented. And um, like Jeff was kind of saying and alluding to it, like uh, gives off a real cool air of what like it means to be a, um, mm, what it means to be like a, uh, a respectable man in society, like a respectable man in society, someone that calls himself out in his own faults when he wasn't, isn't being like the best man he can be. You know what I mean? He's like, hey, man, I was being a jealous guy. I wasn't being my best self. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a lot of like um, good banners um, for change and like, you know, what being a man is like admitting when you're wrong kind of thing. Right. So like Hathaway really drives that point home in a soulful way. And uh, it's a great version. And like Jeff said, that live album is amazing
1: um oh dude what's going on yeah
2: jeff already said how uh you know great and amazing it is and really talked it up um if i'm gonna say anything about that live record my favorite part that's not any of the playing is the girl that shouts out all the stuff um in the audience um in the song the ghetto uh he goes uh we're gonna talk about the ghetto and the girl's like yeah, the ghetto. Uh, doesn't she like, also shout? Yeah, you hear her scream it, and then in the beginning of what's going on, before yeah. anybody says what's going on, you hear Sheesh. you hear uh-huh. her recognize it from the audience and scream, What's going on? like that. Uh, in an excited glee, and it's one of my favorite moments on any record that's ever been recorded. So,
1: check, yeah, name. man, gleeful, it's so good.
2: Lethal expression,
1: also, not for nothing, but um, the the song Little Ghetto Boy was sampled by not only Wu Tang, but also by Dr. Dre. So that's something. And by uh it was covered um by the Roots, right? And John Legend. So I mean that's the thing. I I, I was a sleeper on Donnie Hathaway too for a while, man. But like and his piano
0: playing man, like he he plays, oh my God, he, plays man. he plays he plays uh I think it's Wurlitzer on a bunch of the other songs, but he plays just regular right piano on this, and it's it sounds like old timey barroom, like honky tonk because Jealous Guy is just this like dun dun dun. It sounds like Benny and the Jets like that kind of vibe, and he's just doing these like pounding chords, and then he does these like tremolo like like wavers on the chords. It is it's it's the best man, Donny Hathaway. He's the fucking man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's my number four. uh, Yeah, great pick. Awesome pick. Awesome pick. Well, here we are. Last round. Luca?
2: My last round pick will be um, actually, what will it be? Uh, I'm going to do one that I also thought was more like an alternative y thing. Um, I did The Ramones. Well, actually, not The Ramones, didn't do it first. Uh, It's a song by The Rivieras, uh, California Sun and then uh the ramones cover uh, which i believe is off their second album um leave home um, i like it because it's a surf song um it's classic got that great like corny ass organ on it um and that got that corny ass organ it does it's like um it sounds like a carnival organ right <laughs> <Like it'll... laughs> Um, yeah, I love the lyrics about like California sunshine and all that stuff. Um, it's a great like surf song. It's classic. Um, the reason I really like it is obviously, um, like I'm gonna say, I've heard the Ramones version first, um, and I just like how the Ramones could take something so like sunny and they're like New York and they like, really like translate it so well um, and make it so that for me, what it really did was. Allow me to be like, okay, all this stuff is still cool. You know what I mean? Like, all that old music is still cool. Like, the Ramones are cool. Um, and the Ramones take it and beef it up. Um, and the great thing about it, too, is it's one of the only Ramones songs with a lead guitar part that Johnny Ramone would play. The. Um, yeah. He would play that part. Uh, very distorted live. It's one of my favorite things if you ever uh, listen to it. Um, it's just one of my favorite Ramones covers and I really think it shows where they were coming from it showed that they were into rock and roll in it's purest form first off that they loved corniness of uh, like surf rock and roll and like uh, bubblegum rock um, and that they didn't really take themselves too seriously because you know what I mean so like it was all kind of tongue in cheek and it kind of gave me that, that vibe that like okay you know what I mean it gave me where they were coming from because If you think that their moms are all punk rock, you think they're all one way. But then they're covering the Riviera's California Sun about sunshine and the beach. And that's all very happy-go-lucky and not very punk rock at all. And that's why I really like it. And I think uh, it's a great cover and it was very wise of them. And overall, in a very overarching way, kind of maybe more of an intellectual move on their part to sever themselves from... the punk rock movement that wasn't as that burnt itself out intellectually very fast. Right. Would you, that's mm. how I kind of see it. And I, that's why I wanted to choose it and kind of highlight that the Ramones, you know, were kind of, you know, on their own wavelength and really nodding back to what they were really trying to do as much. Yeah. As media would uh, otherwise tell them that they were a punk band.
1: I mean, for me, for, for me, I just think that like, the, and I think the reason why I, I love the Ramones and I, I kind of love like pure kind of early punk is because really, it's just like really fast rock and roll. Like, it's kind of like, it's like kind of harkening back to that. Like at this point, you know, like you're talking about, I mean, what's the first Ramones album? 75, 76, 76. Oh, no, the first Ramones album, I think is 74. 70, 74. Right. Okay. I was going to say, um, I so think, 74, I mean, you're coming out of, you're looking at 72, 73, we're talking about like bands are now, you know all the all the bands like the early '70s are kind of becoming like the huge, huge thing, and then like punk is kind of this underground sort of rumbling kind of thing that's happening. Um But I just love that it's kind of like kind of kind of like how you would see like the Rolling Stones kind of you know uh, imitating you know Elvis among other obviously among other artists, but like that sort of like blue eyed soul thing that you had going on in the UK. I think that the Ramones kind of give you the same sort of vibe. Just a little bit later, just a little bit grittier, just a little bit dirtier, just a little bit faster, you know, kind of with more of the updated gear that you have by the time 75 rolls around. You're not talking about the early gear of, like, you know, like the Vox AC-15 with, like, the Gresh kind of thing that the Beatles were giving you, the early Stones were giving you. Instead, you're getting, like, the cool Masra guitar with the Ramones, but the amps are bigger now. There's more power behind it you know and there's an attitude behind it that's there's like a there's like a pure thing
2: yeah i think about it too it's a great harken back to rock and roll um but as much as it also is a like again another angle of it is like it's a a bit of a perversion of it where it's like more dirty and uh, like the american dream of like the california sun is more like we all know that that's kind of horseshit, but like they want to sing about it anyway because they're just in it to have a good time. So there's yeah. kind of like that black stained cloud on the cover of it, which I also enjoy. So you know, I just think it's a a great um, you know a great thing to look at in that way in the punk. For those movie, who don't know,
0: Luke is an nof- he's the official unofficial eighth member of the Ramones. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Luke Ramon. <laughs> Listen,
2: guys, I just—I walked around to all of my high school career with a sweatshirt that said "Hey ho, let's go" and giant letters on back. I wore it, yeah. and it was embarrassing. No,
1: not embarrassing. When I picture man. Luke I lo- in my dreams, I, I, I
0: picture him wearing the black Ramon's seal shirt. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right, right.
2: I've, I've had, I've had so many copies of that shirt. <laughs>
1: Luke's had as many. Luke's had as many copies of that shirt as I've had the Led Zeppelin. Luke, shirt, have you ha- have you ever had a,
0: a child's small like Johnny Ramone wore on the
1: cover of this album?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, I, I have some like that. <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah, rock and roll. But right on. I would say a great number yeah, five. I, pick. I
0: like the I like the For original because sure. it's that you know kind of corny white boy surf music where the drums start like do, 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 and then by the time the the band comes in it's like oh shit we got to slow this straight down <laughs> <laughs> and then they're all like kind of holding on for dear life to stay together <laughs> um but then the ramones like that was their bread and butter so it fits them perfectly cuz they just like they rock yeah. it out and they're just like
1: tight on it they really i i once new edge sorry uh, yeah i once i once heard that uh an opinion that was like the ramones are like the beach boys (laughs) (laughs) and i think it really rings true no uh but yeah great pick man great pick number five thank you um for my pick number five was a song that luke wanted to under think initially pick we were able to figure it out but um yeah i mean originally released in 1965 by otis redding which Obviously, if you don't know if you don't know who Otis Redding is, like, do yourself the favor. But the song "Respect," which was then later covered, oh, what was it, sixty-seven on the album "I Never Loved a Man
2: the Way I Love 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 You" you.
1: by Aretha Franklin. Who, I mean, if you aren't hip to the like, just the songs that like the songs that Aretha Franklin just covers in general, like she does a dope version of Eleanor Rigby on her live album. I mean, like, I can keep going. She sings some Carol King songs, whatever, but. I love this song. I love the f- I, I. will say this. I love the fact that, and I love Otis. I love Otis. But I love the fact that Aretha gets most of the notoriety and the credit for this song. You hear Otis Redding sing it, but then you hear Aretha Franklin sing it, and you go, oh, yeah, of course. This, is, this, this song does not belong to men. This song belongs yeah. to women. Like, 100 and yeah. fucking 10%. Like, this is a woman anthem. You better give me my propers. You know, like take care, TCB. Like you're getting so much shit in this, in this, uh, you know, in this song. Uh, Luke knows a lot about taking care I saw you want to go for it, so I was like, "Fuck, it, I'll go there." Luke flashing the TCB uh, lightning bolt tattoo done by himself in his living room. He <laughs> Luke's always taking care of business. business. Um, but yeah, man, I just think, I don't know, I just think that the core, and the, especially the way that Aretha Franklin delivers the lyric, too, it's just demanding, like, listen, you better fucking respect me, and I think... I, um, I
2: think this is the best cover on this whole list. I think this is the most iconic cover. Oh, it's... Yeah, most
0: people don't even, Nobody knows this is a cover.
2: No, because... Yeah, oh,
1: that's the thing, though.
2: Otis Redding, so, like, at this point in his career, is, like, really... Like it's almost like the heavyweight title for who's like going to be like the best male soul artist, right? You got Wilson Pickett, Percy Sledge in the in the running, but uh, obviously you got James Brown. These these people are all in this contention for like you Neo know, being you know soul brother number one. Let's be like straight what it is. Owen's yeah. Redding, what he has above all of them is he is a what the best songwriter out of all of them. When he writes Respect, uh, it said that he was like, this is going to be my best song. This is my best song. It's going to push it over the edge. It's going to be number one. This is what's going to put me on the white chart, Like to be really frank about it, right? Uh, Cross me over uh, as an artist. So when he does this song, he really thinks this this is the shit. And he was right, but in all the wrong ways. Um, So obviously, when he does the song Respect, it's from the male angle of being... Uh, you know what I mean like he wants respect from his woman you know what I mean that kind of vibe right Um, and it's more of like you know just you know give me my thing and Aretha Franklin t- took it so hard and turned it uh, into everything that defined who Aretha Franklin was as an artist um, in short like Mike had mentioned she coins the phrase TCB so that's her coined it in the song taking care of business Right here. Oh, before right Elvis? Yes. Oh, wow.
1: Oh, yeah. Elvis. Elvis. That oh, well, so once again,
0: Elvis doing the what best. he does fast. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: So, TCB, Aretha Franklin. That's her. Um, props. Give me my proppers of that in society, of using that slang. From her version of respect, that also goes to her. Um, and also in her version R-E-S-P-E-C-T stopped and spelled out is not in the Otis Redding song. No, that whole part isn't in that song. No, that's Aretha Franklin and her backup singers arranging on the spot all day. Uh, Yeah. So, and the element of a woman saying, you know what I mean? You need to respect me. You know what I mean? Uh, She's talking about money in this. You know what I mean? Things that are not impolite in society. She wants her respect. She wants her money. And she wants it proper, man. And that song is so woman centric. It's who Aretha Franklin was, and it's one of the greatest songs ever, ever recorded. Aretha Franklin should get writing credit for her. Skin yeah, that, that's I, how good it is because it flipped on its head. It's not about a man anymore. It's about a woman and her role and what she thought about it. And, and also, not like
1: for it. nothing, man. But like the term TCB that's a sexual term. That's, that means to like be taken care, you know, you take care of business, like to please your partner sexually. So for, uh, for the perspective of Otis Redding singing it, it's kind of like, okay, like it's a slang thing that like maybe a man would say, but then for Aretha Franklin in contrast to say it too, that's interesting too, because at the time, you know what I mean? That's kind of taken like, maybe like more of a male kind of sexual, like, Hey, he, you know, or if it's said by women, it's not said in a sort of uh, a song that would hit, you know what on the charts you know what i'm saying so i i think that's cool too i think it's cool for for her to to take that to take that phrase too and just be like yeah and like you better take care of business with me too like you know what i mean like i have needs too it's not just about you motherfuckers like it's you know what i'm saying so i think as you know as a woman as an african-american woman too especially like because this is in the middle of like all like everything's going down man when she when when this song comes out
2: absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's you a, know, it's it's so I just, guys,
1: I you it.
0: know, we didn't give any R S R E S P E C T to King, King For Curtis gold. with the killer tenor sax solo on the Aretha Franklin version. Oh too.
1: yeah. King. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. And, uh, I think Booker T on the,
1: uh, Booker yeah, T and the MGs say. on
0: the Otis Redding, you know, or, yeah.
2: or actually that might be the Barques.
0: It was the, um, it was no. the keys, which is the, the house band that was, uh, Preceding the Barquets. so it was still there it was you know. Booker T and MGs, and the guys who ended up being the Memphis Horts. I w- I wanted to give respect to the actual the person that I find the most interesting on the Aretha Franklin song, like the unsung hero. I the only musician not credited that I did I did so much research I couldn't find the name. Whoever plays the tambourine on the Aretha Franklin song, it's like it's <laughs> it's so minimal and it's just. It's just barely there, but you can hear it just underneath everything. And it just adds this different, more celebratory, kind of in your face, powerful thing. Cause Otis Redding thing is classic Otis Redding. It's like that snare on every beat, like tack, tack, tack. And the Aretha Franklin one, it just mm. starts off immediately as just swinging. It's a little slower. It's like has the bent guitars. It's it's a I mean,
1: yeah. It
0: it might be the number one song of
2: all time. If I if I were making the Rolling Stones hundred greatest uh songs of all time list, I would not have put Lego Rolling Stone on there. I would have put Aretha Franklin's Respect on there. I think it's
0: wow.
1: that
2: much yeah, better. Yeah,
0: I think it I think it's um, the best song. I think it is the number one song of all time.
2: Oh, it's so good. It's just such a In song, history,
1: a you know, like maybe yeah. not my preference,
0: but historically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. I, I agree with it. that. I love it. So there you are. There
2: there's my fifth pick. Wow! With, you guys, uh, I really had a lot of fun doing the show, and I feel like we could do another episode like this.
1: Yes. Well, we have Jeff's left.
2: Oh no! I'm, oh, we have one. Number left five.
1: Huh? We have one. Well, we have one left to go. Jeff's. Oh, what's le- here? Jeff it. with his so fifth. Sorry. All right, I
0: saved. I saved my my favorite for last, and this song is from 1969, and it's by an artist we just talked about briefly. Who? Well, actually, I don't think we talked about him, but he played on the Otis Redding sessions for Respect, and that's Isaac Hayes. And this song is called By the Time I Get to Phoenix. The original was written written by Jimmy Webb, who I think was like 19 at the time when he wrote this song, but it was originally recorded by Johnny Rivers in 1965, although most people are familiar with the Glenn Campbell version of the song from 1967. But the Johnny Rivers version is almost identical to the Glen Campbell, except just different singers. And Johnny Rivers, I kind of enjoy his singing more because it's more off key in a way and it sounds more heartbroken and less like commercial and all that, like Glen Campbell. Although I love Glen Campbell, it's like the Johnny Rivers version is just like pulls at you a little bit more. But this cover by Isaac Hayes off of his Hot Buttered Soul album, 969. That- is a goddamn monster it is 18 minutes and 42 seconds long
1: dude can i just say you know what i thought when i heard this i said this is a real suiting title because by the time he starts actually fucking singing and getting through this monologue i'll it's going to take from connecticut to phoenix arizona because that's the point of it because dude it's just like oh my god the whole
0: the song is 18 and a half minutes long it's an eight and a half minute intro before he starts singing. And the eight and a half in- minute <laughs> intro, it starts and it's just a single held organ organ chord. And the bass is, is just doing a s now like doom, 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 And and there's a bell bell hits on the cymbal, so it's like clang, clang. Clang, clang for eight and a half minutes. Well, while Isaac Hayes talks about the background of the song, he talks. It's like what you'd hear live if you went to see him at a show. He talks about this is a this is a song. It's not my song. It's by another up and coming artist, but I really connect to the song. He gives this whole background about how it's not his song, how he loves it, and then he starts to talk about his interpretation of what the background of the song is. He goes on this like seven minute story about a man who loves a woman and. It's it's epic. It's so great because at some point, like a minute into his speech, you as listener are are like, oh, Isaac Hayes is definitely talking about his own personal experience now and like his own problems (laughs) in relationships. And then he starts the song and he sings the title but I'm gonna get to Phoenix and then it opens up with the second chord of the organ and it's like daylight has finally come because it's it's just been like sitting (laughs) in this mood for eight and a half minutes and it is my favorite chord of all time because it's like it's so so much anticipation and it's this beautiful add nine chord which is my favorite chord in the world which is a major major chord with an added second sandwiched in between the root and the major third it's like the most beautiful sound in the world but i'm telling you that th- this song goes on he sings you know he sings the three four verses and then there's like an eight minute outro where it, it's now this big joyous thing it's like it has horn blasts in it it's like da 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 dun on the horns And it goes in and out of bringing strings and oboes and flutes and stuff. And it kind of, since it's like a seven minute outro, it will do horns for like two minutes and then it kind of dissipates and goes into a different thing. And then it brings it back up after like two minutes. It really is the soundtrack of like a guy who broke up with a girl and then has to drive across country to go back to where he's from. Cause it is just Mm. based on just the instrumentation and the outro It takes you through all these ups and downs of like what he's thinking and how he might be like second guessing his decision. And it goes, everything falls away. And that's just like piano now for the first time, acoustic piano. And then you're like, oh, is he going to turn back around and like go into a different thing? And he's just singing like baby, baby, baby for minutes. And then it comes back with the trumpets and it's, it's like fucking crazy, man. It is, it is absolutely insane the first time i heard this song like seven eight years ago it, it blew my mind because it's 18 and a half minutes and if you buy into it man it is such an experience it is such a great song
2: um, yeah i listened to this coincidentally i was like this week was like my Isaac k's week and on monday i listened to hot Buttered soul four times just on monday
0: it's the best. Um, There's only
2: four songs in the album because it's a 12-minute yeah, uh, song, a 9-minute uh, song, a 5-minute song, and then the 18-minute
0: long song.
2: It's so good. So, <laughs> I, I'm just listening to podcasts that works. So I'm very intent on listening to someone talk monotone in my ear. And so when I you know really click, it's the first time I'm like, oh, here it comes. The last song. Clicks on. Jeff's right. That organ note comes on. king, ding, ding. ding. And I just hook into what he's saying. If you buy the ticket and take the ride with him, I swear, I swear, it sounds so corny because you're like, if you listen to it and you're not going to buy the ticket, it's like you're it's Cornball City. But if you buy in, you'll almost get moved to tears by the shit he's saying. He's like, "Oh, mama!" It's the be- it? It's so
0: honest. It's so. It's almost over the top because it's so honest. It sounds like he didn't rehearse yeah. it. It sounds like he was just doing this like off the cuff monologue in the studio.
2: Yeah, it, it's so. And then Jeff's right. What was the, the giant monologue, almost ten minutes long? <laughs> and when the when when the organ note <laughs> when the organ note shifts, if you're been locked in the whole time, you've been listening the whole time. To the story and when that organ shifts Jeff's right. It's like Moses fucking opens up the water and everything Black Moses if you will. Black- <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like by the time I get <laughs> Thank you in, for saying it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything changes and it floods in and starts <laughs> talking about the gas station and you'll just start just like everything floods in. It's like a river of emotion. It's one of the best songs of all time. If you're talking about like taking a song and then like interpreting it to the nth degree, it's this song. It's like taking um, it's like taking a three minute song and making an hour. It's like
0: sometimes I just listen to the monologue you know, and I stop it before you actually start singing because it's yeah. it's so entertaining.
2: Think about.
1: <laughs> Think about it though, man. Like that. Like what year? So what year was Hot, that? That that, that one 69. came out.
2: Hot Buttered Soul is nineteen sixty nine. And I want to say too that for soul music, Hot Buttered Soul elevates soul music to a whole new nth degree and is mm-hmm. a landmark in that uh, style of music on par of like a Sergeant Pepper's. Nobody had done to soul music what isaac hayes did to it and i don't think anybody really did it since so great record amazing 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 check it out
1: yeah 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 well there you have it there you have it we could we could do it yeah like luke said earlier Dude, right? we i could love do covers we yeah I, so I many, a list so of many 50 many other of
0: these. cover songs that i love
2: yeah these yeah, are just and my and personal the, favorites I think and oh a, a, spurred some great conversations some great rock and roll and music history uh not only rock and roll but just music history and uh it really showed I think you guys' personalities a lot of like what you guys gravitated to for like the mm-hmm. cover songs and I really enjoyed seeing that
1: yeah, yeah same yeah yeah
2: thank you thank you yeah, guys thank for you sharing. yeah
0: like I me mean, listen a lot you. more um music now for real
2: uh, me, uh, I'm gonna be straight with you the first three albums are the only that's thing fine that's man really, like Worth their salt, everything else is like
0: hey, I'll find something worthwhile.
2: First, first three, though, all, all like on par being some of those killer albums, and ladies. Mm.
1: Right on, guys, right, right, right on. on. Well, we this was all oh, right on before we, go, before, we go,
2: before we go. Before we go, I want to uh highlight Jeff's podcast. Uh, I will, be yes. oh, yeah, I have, sleep, I have a new so. podcast, guys.
0: So if you enjoy getting the garage. Check out my new podcast. It's called "What Do You Love About Music." It's an inter- yeah, like, an interview yeah, in. show where I ask guests ten questions about music, covering all aspects of life from earliest childhood music memories to what they currently enjoy listening to, to like what they would hope that the next generation listens to. I had Mike on as my first guest last week on episode. Yeah, one. we, we had, had a good, good time, time, man. There's been some good feedback so far. Um, and I'm right now I'm going to be doing a guest a week. And I also do a mini episode every Friday where I'm going to give my album recommendations for you to check out over the weekend. So I have a full episode available, episode one with Mike. And I have my, what we're calling my disc picks which are my album recommendations at the end of the week
2: um wanted to uh shout out that odetta album that you threw up oh there. great record. i was... i've been shouting that record out for years she's one of my favorite yeah, i've never heard it and, before
0: uh, really. odetta sings ballads and blues yeah man civil rights activists and you know the voice of the civil rights movement odetta
1: it is it's it's great man it's yeah I have that album, oh, man. I spun that album because I listened to. Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, uh, you could Your shirt basically on, looks like a vinyl. cat
0: version of the cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. I um, so it. yeah, check I, that, I that I out. On, that. It's a Spotify exclusive because I tag in songs. So again, it's called "What Do You Love About Music?" and you can follow the podcast there uh, at W D Y L A Music on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. Mike's episode yeah.
1: is coming this week. Yeah, yeah. And you do it at Spotify exclusive, so you can play music. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Like, Full songs you know, uh,
0: tagged in at different points. Yeah. So check it out yeah. if you enjoy this and you want to hear more of us talk about music and gain a little yeah. more specific maybe And in, its interview format. So, you know, we'll learn learn more directly about each other and, you know, the friends and guests I'll have on.
1: Yeah.
2: Right on, guys.
1: Yeah, so check that out. um Well,
2: check fun, out this guys. podcast, GITG uh, Podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> great. No, don't check us out. No, yeah. No, this is nice. I can't wait, though. I will say I, I miss doing this in person. You know, we have a good time. Yeah, it's been like person, a month so now, right? Yeah, at
0: least a month. Over. A yeah. Month. yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Now that I got mm-hmm. the vid, it's definitely not going to be, you know, it's going to be a while. But you know, it is what it is. Not for nothing that the the the, the look, <laughs> when we recorded with uh, Jeff's podcast, it was literally what like I think we were we started actually recording, starting recording, and then I was just like, "Oh, I have coronavirus." They <laughs> were
2: like, "What?" I'm like, Jay, I have coronavirus. Oh, that must have been a meltdown, Jeff. I'm so glad I wasn't
0: uh, there. <laughs> No, he sold. It, it was no, I it really wasn't. The it podcast. was podcast.
1: Yeah, man. Just stiff like stiff upper hey, baby. Let's like. Yeah, exactly. It is what yeah. it is. It is what it is. We thought we had it, what, like, three three weeks ago anyway, so I already went through, like, the emotional, like, mental trauma of thinking that you have it. And now, Yeah, and lo- like, l- luckily Mike's symptoms
0: are he can't smell his kids' dirty diapers, so, you know, it could be worse.
1: Yeah, I can't smell, I can't taste. It feels like, it, you know, yeah. it's not bad, man. It's just, like, you know, some sinus pressure. Forge, I was very fortunate. My mother-in-law, not so fortunate, she described it as, her description was, my hair Yikes. hurts. So so, she, she, so, that's, you know, a, so that's a
0: message from us. Get in the garage. Wear your masks. Do your social distance. Yeah, wash your hands. Don't go out if masks, you don't have
1: to. It's no.
2: Yeah, get your groceries delivered. Yeah, man. Can.
1: Yeah, can curbside deliver, pickup, or
2: you can do. Did that.
1: Yeah, curbside pickup. A hundred percent, a hundred percent contact free. We're, we're true you know, believers of, in of- this
0: <laughs> being a real thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I tested positive <laughs> twice, so yeah, I don't really have much of a choice but to be a believer on this one. Um, but anyway, so as always, been Mike, Luke, I've been Mike. Luke and Jeff. I love Thank you guys. Um, hopefully, hopefully, we can, uh, you know, yeah, stay
0: sane in this crazy in world. Listen to, soon, but,
1: yeah, listen to some good music. Yeah, listen to a little hot buttered uh, listen soul. Listen to a lot of it, and I think, and I think, I think the the sun will shine mm-hmm. a little bit brighter on that day. So anyway.